We're in a series called Different right now, and we're studying the book of First Peter. <clears throat> it has only been, honestly, through God's providence that I've been sharing some of the messages that I've been doing at the time that they've been doing. Months back, as we looked at doing this series, did not know the current events of what we would be going into as a nation, as a world, as a church, and yet it's only God, and amazing how God just times his word. I mean, you know, there's just certain messages that are just timely messages for certain times. You're like, that is a word from the Lord for this moment. Last week, I shared a message on how to have hope when life hurts. Um, how many of you were here for last week's message? Were you here for last week's? Um, how many were encouraged by it? Were you? I hope you were. If you don't, go back and watch that, that, that message. Uh, yet again, you can watch it on the app. Um, but we can go back and, and, uh, and see a little bit of that. The week before, we talk about marriage. I mean, we've just been diving in. Really, it's just kind of what's next in the text. That's been this whole thing. What's next? What's next? What's next? What are we walking through? And just how what's next in the text is kind of lined up with where we are as a church and things that we've been walking through. As uh, all of you know, last week we stood, I stood on this stage and we prayed for Jordan Moore and Amanda and their family. For those that don't know, Jordan passed away this past last Sunday. Um, Steve and I were there at the hospital with Amanda and the family. Uh, yesterday we had the funeral right here. 280 people packed into this room celebrating this man, this incredible man, um, and we got a chance to celebrate his life, uh, but the best part that I love the most is 29 people said yes to Jesus yesterday right here in this room, and um, Amanda's here. Amanda, I love you. We love you deeply, and um, y'all please continue to keep Amanda and their family in your prayers, uh, as we continue in this series, uh, talking about hurt last week, this week, uh, <laughs> it's just the way God's providence is. We're going to talk about the title of today's message is how to live like you're dying, how to live like you're dying. Uh, Peter is going to challenge us in, in this idea of, of the end and what does that look like when we come to the end and uh, are we at the end? And everything that's going on around our world right now, especially everything that's happening in Israel and Gaza and everything that's, that's stirring up and people are asking the questions, are we in the last days? Is this the last times? I, I don't know if it's actually the last days or not. There's a lot of things that's happening. Matthew tells us there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. That's happening. Would tell us that there'll be droughts and hurricanes and, and, uh, and earthquakes. I mean, no, that's happening. There would be famine. That's happening. So is it the end of the days? Is that our last days? Uh, I know it's more last days than it was when it was written. And here's what I also know, it's your last days. Um, and what I mean by that is every day is we're closer to the last day than we were the day before and the week before and the month before. I want you to imagine with me for a moment uh, that those double doors in the back opened and Jesus walked down this aisle. First off, how amazing would that be? <laughs> Jesus just strolls up. How many know he gets the mic? You know, I step off the stage, Jesus takes the mic. I want you to imagine with me that Jesus stands up here and greets our Savior's church and those watching online, and he says, hey, I, I come bearing an announcement today, and the announcement is that one year from today, October, what's today, 29th? October 29th, 2024, exactly one year from today, I will be coming back. One year from today, I will be back, and all of you that have trusted in me will be with me in one year. And then he walked out the door. Let me ask this question. If that was to happen, what would change? 
What would change? What would you start doing and what would you stop doing? What, what, what would your priorities look like? Would they look a little different? Would they not? Honestly, my prayer is for all of us in this room, nothing would change. <laughs> we just keep doing the exact same thing that we're doing right now. But the reality is for some of us, some things would need to change. We should maybe shift some things around. Now, none of us know when that day will come, when Jesus will come back. None of us know our death date, the day that we will die. Only God knows that. God's the only one that knows that. But we do oftentimes in a culture that we live in, live in a way like we're Superman and we're going to live forever. We're going to live a long, long, long time. How many know that's not guaranteed? That is not guaranteed whatsoever. Um, None of us are guaranteed uh, another day. Uh, another hour, another minute, that is only for the Lord that he gets to determine that. And so we're not guaranteed that we're going to live till our 80s or 90s or whatever that may be. So what would it be like if we were to live with the end in mind? Peter is going to address the church and he's going to talk to them about this because they've been facing such persecution that he probably knows in some reality from those who are in that church, the end is actually very near for them. Not Jesus coming back, but their death is probably coming and it's becoming imminent because the the suffering, as you've heard in the beginning of this series, we talked about the persecution that the church was facing and and, and, and how um, the Roman culture was against the Christians. And so they were burning them and they were killing them. And so Peter's writing to a church who's enduring incredible suffering and he's going, hey, there may come a day and it's probably coming sooner than you think. So you need to make sure that you get your heart and your life and your family ready. So today I want us to um, take in what Peter is saying and I want us to a- uh, ask ourselves, what, are, what is it to have the right mindset when it comes to our own mortality? And I want to share today five ways to live like you're dying. Because you can live in such a way that whether you were to die tomorrow or a month or a year or many years from now, that you can live today in such a way to be ready for that day. So if you have your notes, I want you to go ahead and pull it out. I'm going to give you five thoughts today as we go through 1 Peter 1. And then we're going to go all the way through to, uh, to 1 Peter, uh, I think, verse 11. And then you're in for a real treat because next week, my bride is preaching next weekend. Lindsay's preaching next weekend. Come on, somebody. So, and, um, and she's preaching on suffering. Um, I gave her the easy topic. And so... <laughs> Uh, my wife, my wife's married to me, so she knows it very, knows suffering very well. And so, and she has three boys. So, um, but I'm so, I'm so excited to hear what God's going to do through her. And then we'll probably end the series the week after that, going into first Peter chapter five. All right. Five ways to live like you're dying. If you're taking notes, number one is this, live with the right mindset. You got to live with the right mindset. Let's look at, uh, at chapter four. Let's look at verse one right here, right out the gate. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, everybody help me with these two words right here. What does it say? Arm, arm yourselves. You need to arm yourselves also with the same mind. You need to arm yourselves with the same mind. This idea of arming yourselves is a military, it's a battle terminology uh, to prepare yourself, to equip yourself. If you're walking into a battle, into a war zone, you're going to go into it properly equipped with helmets and, 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 and the right equipment on and, and probably some type of ammunition or some type of weapon you're going to have with you. And it's so important for you to arm yourself for the battle that 
that is at hand. And how many know we are at war in the physical in a lot of ways, and we're also at war in the spiritual? Uh, if you don't even realize that oftentimes we can just think that there's only physical battles that we go through, but oftentimes the physical battles are a representation of actually a spiritual battle that's going on even grander, even greater. When you're fighting with your spouse, you think that that's a physical fight. The truth is it's actually more spiritual than it is physical. When you're fighting with people, whether that's in other countries or whether that's here in our states or wherever that is, we've got a battle that's going on. I'm going to tell you the greatest battle that you and I fight, ready? The greatest battle you and I fight is with ourselves. And it's right here. This is the greatest battlefield. It's right here. And if you want to win in life, you got to win here. And Peter knows this, and Peter says, hey, you need to make sure that you arm yourselves, and the way that you need to arm yourselves, you need to make sure that you have the same mind. What, what, what is he talking about, same mind? Well, he's referring to something that Paul speaks about, because Peter and Paul, yet both apostles, wrote very similar things. We've been all throughout this series kind of bouncing back and forth between these two guys because they are sharing very similar things. And in Philippians 2, the apostle Paul writes, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. The Apostle Peter is writing to Christians, to followers of Jesus. And he's saying this, God's desire is not that you just have the morals of Christ, but that you also have the mind of Christ. Many times we can focus on, on a religion that focuses on having right morals that we should behave properly, but what you fail to realize is that if we're only working for behavior modification, we're missing the biggest part, which is that God doesn't want behavior modification, he wants life transformation. And he realizes that life transformation does not happen unless you change your mind. God is, of course, after your heart. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he is, you get born again, you get saved, but here it is. It's possible to have a saved heart and still have a worldly mind. This is why when you get saved, you think all of a sudden I'm saved and everything's gonna be good and then you're, you're trying to figure out why do I still battle with lust? Why do I still battle with insecurity? Why do I still battle fear? Why do I still battle with jealousy? Why do I still battle? Because yes, you have a saved heart. Yes, you're going to heaven, but how many know you gotta renew your mind? You gotta change your thinking. Many of us in here maybe got some stinking thinking. You got a clean heart. You got a pure heart. You got a new heart because of Jesus, but if we get up in this thing, we got to change this. We've got to change this. This is why Paul and Peter are both so concerned about the mind because they know that you can't have a changed life if you don't have a changed mind. Everybody wants a changed life. Everybody wants a better life, but they don't realize in order to get a better life, you've got to have a better mind. Why? Because if you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. If you change the way you feel, you change the way you act. We're all trying to fix our behavior the way we act. But you fail to realize you can't fix a behavior if you don't fix the way you think. Can't. It's impossible. And Peter and Paul both know this. Peter and Paul, by the way, are both guys, watch this, who had to have their mind changed. The Peter who is writing this book is not the Peter that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, no, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Peter that we read about in, that, in, those, in those books when Jesus was here, I mean, no, Peter was a little bit of a different cat. If he said it, if he thought it, he said it. 
He had no self-control. Came right out, all right? Somebody's going after Jesus, pulls out the sword, and he's like, let me have him, Jesus. Peter is incredibly reactionary. Peter is, he's the one who rebuked Jesus. And yet here we are, Peter, later in life, and Peter's a different man. It's not the same Peter we, we see in the Gospels. This is a different dude. Because over the course of time, he's allowed God to change his mind. We've got to change our mind. If we're going to live like we're dying, if we're going to live with the right, proper perspective, it comes with us fixing this. This is why Romans 12 says that do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is such a big deal. It's the reason why we have fears. It's the reason why we're so anxious. It's the reason why we battle depression. It's the reason why we have jealousy. It's the reason why we have, why? Because we've got a mind that's not right. We've allowed lies to come in and they've made nests in our minds. Do you know that your soul was never designed to take in as much information as our world wants to give you? You know you were never designed to know all the bad problems of the world. And yet, at our fingertips, in one app, you can open up and within five to 10 minutes, know all of the problems going on, not only in our own city and in our own state, in our own nation, but around the world. How I many know oh, your soul was never designed to hear that much bad news? And then we wonder why we struggle with fear because we've allowed so much intake into our eyes and into our heart and into our mind of all the negativity that's going on around the world. So much that's happening around the world and we live in fear and we live in anxiety. Why? Because we're allowing so much to come in. And so what I propose is I think we need to create the same thing if you were to go and, and purchase a ticket to go fly somewhere. You get to the airport and before you can go into the terminal where all the gates is, you have to go through a little place called the TSA. Come on, how many of you hate the TSA? But how many of you know you like to be on a plane that is safe because of the TSA? You get into the TSA, they call you in, they strip you down, they make you take everything off except your dignity, all right? <laughs> you walk up to it, you put your bags through, everything goes through, jackets off, belts off, shoes off, I'm just waiting for them to take my pants off. I mean, everything's coming off. You stand in the thing, raise it there, right there, be still. Yes, ma'am, all right. <clears throat> Woman's got a mustache, she's looking at you, she's telling you to stop. So, this, is, this is all true, I'm telling you, this is, this is how it is. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you, you, you make her real mad, so then you walk out, and she's like, I need you, come here, right over here, right here. She sits you down, and then she does one of these, like this is better. All, I mean, everything, right? Feel violated a little bit. Step away. She's like, you're good. Like, I know I'm good. Okay, thank you, though. I, and you walk away. What are they doing? They're, they're looking for anything that could be harmful to the people that are in the airport and on the plane. I, Lindsay and I went to one, one airport. I don't even remember what airport this was. We went into the airport, went through the TSA, got through the TSA, and the, the TSA had this wall, kind of like our production booth right there, had this huge wall, and it was all of the weapons they had confiscated. And they had it like in a showcase, like they were bragging. <laughs> Literally, like knives this long, 
One had a bomb. Literally, guns. I mean, just all the different ways people have creatively tried to have brought weapons onto the planes. And that was kind of like their brag wall of the things that they've stopped. <clears throat> but they're ultimately doing it. Why? To protect those that are there on the plane. What would it look like for us to create a TSA in our own mind that the moment that the enemy wants to bring lies our way, it gets flagged? Do, 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 do. Nope. You are not worthy. You are, you are, you, I, I can't believe you. Do, 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 do. Nope. And every time something wants to come your way, you, get, you, you hear about the layoffs that are happening. You hear about the war that's happening, and it, here it comes. Do, 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 do. Nope, nope, nope. No, 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 no. No, my God is with me. God is, and we were armed with truth that can combat every lie that comes our way. If you, want, if you want to live with the end in mind, you've got to make sure that you've got the right mindset. Number two, we've got to live for God's will. We've got to live for God's will. Look at verse two. He says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You will be passionate to do the will of God. You will really wanna do God's will, not chasing your own will. Before Christ, you're all about chasing your own will and your own desires and your own dreams and your own plans. But now, you, you, because of what Christ has done on the inside of you, you're gonna be anxious to do the will of God. And now in verse three, he's gonna get really specific about what your old life used to look like. You had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoyed. Here's some things that you used to do, all right? Look at it, says. He says their immorality and lust and their feasting and their drunkenness and their wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Sounds like South Louisiana right there. He says, no, 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 this isn't going to be what you, what you do anymore. Peter is writing to a group of, of Christians who are now been canceled because this used to be their former life. This used to be what they all enjoyed. This used to be the things that they loved to do constantly. He's going, you don't, you, you don't do that anymore. These were your own desires, but now you seek God's will, God's desires over your own desires, and this is what you used to do. Rich, if we're, we're all being honest in here, some of us in here probably have experienced this, or maybe that was last night. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. Maybe this was last night, but watch this. The reason why we do this is multiple factors, but one of the main reasons why we get so caught up in this kind of lifestyle and so much of this is because underneath it all, there's hurt that we're trying to not have to deal with. So we drink it away, party it away, Sleep it away. Because, it, because there's something on the inside of us that we're trying to meet. And this is the only way we know how to meet it. But here's the problem. This doesn't last. So you got to keep doing it. And keep doing it. And keep doing it. And keep doing it. And shame and shame and shame and guilt and guilt, and guilt, and then you go, I'm never, I'm not doing it again, and then you do it again the next weekend. I'm not doing it again, I'm done with this, and then you do it again the next weekend. And so what is, ends up happening is sin, at the end of the day, is that we've got a legitimate need that we're trying to meet in illegitimate ways. We've got a legitimate need. We want to feel loved. I want to feel accepted. Pastor Josh, I just need peace in my life. And right now I have no peace, so let me just drink it away so I can get some peace. Well, here's the problem. When you're back to sober, you realize you don't have it. 
And so what ends up happening is you go into this lifestyle of just living for self and self-pleasure, self-pursuit, and whether that's relationships or substances or alcohol or money or work or possessions. It could be a lot of different things. But we dive into all these things thinking that these things will fulfill us, thinking that these things will, will satisfy the aching of our soul, failing to realize that there is, a, there is a, a gap in our soul that only can be met by Jesus. It is impossible to run after sin and run after Jesus because they're both in opposite directions. And so Jesus looks at us and says, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to turn from that stuff. You're going to have to come and you're going to have to pursue me with all of your heart. You can't live one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus and think that somehow you're going to continue to be able to pull for Jesus and follow Jesus. And yet I want to live for myself. And if I go too far, I'm 41. It's not going to go good. All right. <clears throat> but I want you to imagine a ladder and you're trying to climb both of them. The world and yours. And following Jesus and God's will and following yours. And eventually you're going to get to a place where you're going to have to make a decision or it's going to be catastrophic. And Peter's going, listen, this used to be you. And you used to pursue your own will and your own passions and your own desires. And that will go somewhere. It's just not going to go to where you want it to go. But what you want to do is you want to pursue Jesus. You want to follow Jesus' example. How many of you remember when Jesus came onto this earth? Jesus is the example that we should be. This is what this is the Lord's prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually models it when he's right there, right before he goes to the cross, right before he's about to endure the greatest suffering any man could ever suffer. And he looks to God, his father, and he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. You want to live with the end in mind. You want to live like you're dying. You've got to come to a place where you go, not my will, but your will be done. Which, by the way, in order to fulfill God's will, something has to die, and it's you. The problem is we just don't like the cross. Because my Dreams have to die. My desires have to die. My plans have to die. My wishes have to die. And go, well, that, man, that's, that's terrible. Why would God make me have to give all those things up? Here's why. Because he has better ones. His plans are better. His dreams for you are better. His desires for you is better. All of that that he has for you is better. But you've got to trust that he's a good God that's got better. Look at verse 4. He says, of course, Watch this. Your former friends, your former friends. So remember, he's talking to a group of Christians. And he knows that they at one time lived this way. And he says, hey, and your former friends that you used to have, they're going to be surprised. And what are they going to be surprised? They're going to be surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. They're going to call you up and be like, dude, club night. This is the night, brah. 50% off, I'm telling you. This is it. And you'll be like, ah, uh, listen. Um, so, um, okay, man, listen. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really doing that anymore. What? Bro, 
Thursday night, that's our night. Yeah, just not, just not doing it anymore. Or you go on a business trip with all of your work buddies and you normally go to the adult club together. And they're all getting ready, man, it's going to be great. And you're like, ah, so, listen, um, I'm not doing that anymore. What? What? Or someone goes to hand you something, and you look at them and go, man, I don't, I don't do that anymore. What? What got into you? People in your work start gossiping about everybody else, and they come to you and go, dude, let me tell you, man, let me tell you about such and such. And you go, man, I, you know, uh, man, I just, I don't, I really don't want to hear that anymore. What? And here's the response. Ready? You better than us now? Oh, you better than us now, huh? Oh, you all goody now. Oh, you all on that Jesus thing? Yeah, and, and then they'll say this. Bro, you've changed. You've changed. And you know what you need to say? You're absolutely right, I've changed. But more than changed, I've grown. And by the way, when people don't want to grow, they'll make fun of you for growing because it makes them look like they don't want to grow, which they don't want to grow. I don't do that anymore, man. Oh, man, why don't you do it anymore? And it's going to give you an opportunity to talk about what we talked about last week is then it gives you an opportunity to declare the hope that you now have in Christ. And let me tell you why I don't do this. Let me tell you why I don't. And give you an opportunity to do that. And, and by the way, some people will do this because you've changed. So Peter is going, hey, be prepared for this because the moment that you start putting like, you know, certain things in place in your life and you go like, I'm not doing that anymore, man. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not talking like that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Just be prepared that the people that want to keep doing all of that, they're going to just start making fun of you for it. And so Peter's going, hey, get ready to be rejected by people who were your former friends because they're going to now stay your former friends. Because by the way, here's how you know you really have a real friend is because the moment that you change and better yourself, they don't slander you, they celebrate you. That's how you know you got a true friend. At the moment you go, man, I'm not doing that anymore. But man, awesome for you, bro. But if they slander you is the moment you realize that's not a real friend because they just want to hold you down to their level. They don't want you to grow the best to be what God's called you to be. Y'all with me today? Hey, this is way easier to preach than it is to live out because this may be lifetime friends. This may even be family. Right? This may be family. And so you, 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 you've got to realize, man, I, but at the end of the day, man, I want to live for God's will. I'm not living for my own will and my own pleasures. Man, I want to live for God's pleasures, which means I'm going to be different. That's the whole thing about this series. I'm going to be different. I'm going to look different than the world. I'm going to act different than the world. I'm going to do things different than the world. I'm going to be uniquely different because God's called me to be different. God hasn't called me to be like the world. God's called me to reach the world. In order to reach the world, I can't look like the world. I need to be different from the world because I need to draw them to something that's better than the world. Number three, we got to live for eternity. we got to live for eternity. Verses five and six. But remember that they will have to face God. Everybody say face God. <clears throat> who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. 
Everyone in this room, everyone that's watching online, everyone is going to face God. Everyone here is going to face God. Everyone here is going to be judged by God, the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. Wait, what? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. How do we preach to someone who's dead? Does not make any sense whatsoever. Like, do we go over to their casket and start preaching the good news to them? I don't understand how this plays out. That's not what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying that, that, that there's going to come a day where the living are going to be judged and the dead are going to be judged. He's not talking about physical. He's talking about spiritual. That there's going to come a day that those who are spiritually alive will be judged and those who are spiritually dead will be judged. That everyone is going to be judged. And really, when it comes to God, when he comes and he looks at us, there's only one of two categories, lost or found, dead or alive. There is no in-between. There's no middle, like, I'm somewhat alive. No, you're either alive or you're not alive. You're either alive or you're not alive. And when it comes to us spiritually, you're either alive or not alive. That's it. That's, that's the only two qualifications. You're either alive in Christ or you're dead in your sin. Those are the only two. And so he says, we need to make sure that we are preaching the good news to every single person who is dead in their sins and calling them in. The good news. The good news, not the shameful news, the good news. Here's the good news. You are lost in your sin, but God has a way out. God loved you. God died for you. God forgave you. God accepted you. And God wants you into his kingdom. But you're going to have to make a decision to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. We need to continue to preach this to every person who is dead in their sins to come. So although that they were destined to die like all people, because now we have preached to them and they've responded to that news and God has made them alive in Christ, they now live forever with God in the spirit. This is so huge here. Pastor Bubba used to say this all the time. This is just a common phrase we say around here all the time. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make people who were spiritually dead alive. Amen. This is so huge here. Christianity is not a religion. Religion says do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be a better person, and hopefully you'll get to heaven, and you'll get to outweigh your good and your bad, and hopefully you'll do enough good than you did bad, and God will go, okay, you're a good person, come in. Last time I checked, even good people go to hell. Well, he's a good boy. Good boy don't make it to heaven. Trusted in Jesus for the salvation of his sins is what gets you to heaven. God did not come to make us from bad to good. He's not about behavior uh, modification. How many know God is all about death to life? He's all about spiritual transformation. He doesn't change you from the outside in. He changes you from the inside out. He gives you a new heart and he begins to renew your mind. And out of that, transformation starts taking place in your life. And if we're gonna live for eternity, we need to understand that this is so huge. This is so huge. Why is this so big? Because so many people, have misinterpreted these verses, that you and I were once dead. This is actually what Paul talks about this in, second, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter two. You were, once you were dead because of your disobedience and because of your many sins. How many have sinned in here? Okay, it should be 100%, okay? If you're not, just look at the person next to you, they'll tell you you're a sinner for you, all right? We've all sinned. Some of you are like, I don't know, good person? Okay, don't say that around me. Okay, that's not, you're not good, all right? None of us are good apart from Jesus. Okay, many of us have sinned. Many of us have disobeyed. Because of that, it has made us dead in Christ. 
You were all once dead, okay? You were all once dead. The scripture just a minute ago said that we need to preach the good news to those who were dead. This is all huge here that God is doing this. Now, here's where we misinterpret this verse, okay? And I've got to just make sure that I've, I, I, I clear this up. <clears throat> because I've heard this a number of times, especially being down here in the South. It's a really, really big deal. It's a cultural thing, but it's not a biblical thing. And I need to make sure that we stick to what is actually biblical and what, what Peter and Paul are telling us. He's telling us that when people die, they die. There is no second chance. There is no second chance. The moment someone dies, they die. Peter says, and that they, they'll, they'll face judgment. Look what uh, Hebrews 9, 27 says. Look at this. And just as each person is destined to die, to die once, and after that comes judgment. So let me teach you not only what we believe at our Savior's Church, but what I 100% believe the Bible preaches and declares to us. No one dies, goes to a place, and then people that are alive can pray them out. No one dies, and they go to some holding cell, and some people on this earth can give enough money or pray enough prayers and pray this person into heaven. Does not happen. It's not even biblical at all. This scripture tells us that there's going to come a day for all of us in this room that we're going to die. We're going to die once. Then we're gonna face one judgment. That is your moment. And the only moment that you and I have to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior is why we are alive on this planet. This is so huge. We don't pray that loved ones who are passed away experience God. No, we pray that alive loved ones experience God, confess Jesus as God, and that way they never have to eternally ever be separated from God. This is what we believe. This is what scripture says. And if you don't know Jesus today, here is your moment that God is giving you that you came to our Savior's Church or you're watching online and it is an invitation for you to hear the incredible good news of Christ that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to be sin that because of our sin that separated us from God, he sent Jesus to walk this life, to live a life you and I couldn't live, a perfect life. He was a perfect substitute, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world because he was born on a cross, he was, he was bared on a cross, bore our sins, our shame on the cross. He went to that cross. He went into the grave. And because of the power and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit rose again. And for those who put their faith in Christ and repent of their sins, doing it their way and say, confess that Jesus is Lord of their life and confesses it with their mouth and believes in the heart, the Bible says they will be born again. That is the good news of the gospel. It is a gift to be received. It is not one to be earned. You can't work enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't help grannies enough. You can't help people enough. You can't do enough to ever stand before God and say, I've done enough, so let me in. Because here's why. If you could do enough to get you into heaven, how, how mean and how cruel is it that the Father sent Jesus to the cross if you could get yourself to heaven? This is huge. How cruel of a father to say, Jesus, you need to go die on the cross. Oh, but you know what? We also offer a second way. People, if they just do enough good stuff, that's, that's equal to the cross. It's not at all. 
all of our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. The only good deed that stands as the righteous payment for sins is what Christ did on the cross. So in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, he says, hey, listen, this is huge. The end is near. Go, go back to the verse right before that. The end of all things is near. <clears throat> now, how many know it's more near to us now than it was when he wrote this? <laughs> he wrote it to them and said, hey, it's near. It's way more near, even more now. And all of us in here have one life to live. We all have one life to live. But there is life beyond this life. So there used to be a hashtag that would go around and said, YOLO, you only live once. And that was like people's hashtag that they used to do whatever they wanted to do. I only live once, let's live it up. Here's the problem, I changed it because the truth is it's not YOLO, it's YOLT, you only live twice. And here's why, because you live once on earth, but you live forever somewhere else. Amen. You've got a second one that's coming. And the moment that you die here, you're gonna go somewhere else. So here's the question that we all gotta ask ourselves. If, if you only had one month to live, if you only had one year to live, if you knew that, what would change? What would change? <clears throat> when I was on sabbatical in 2021, uh, my sabbatical coach, one of the first activities and exercises that we did, he said, Josh, I want you to sit down. And he said, I want you over the next week to sit down and do this exercise. And then we're going to come back. We're going to meet about it. And I said, okay, what's the exercise? He says, <clears throat> I want you to write down what you want people to say at your funeral. That's really weird. What do you mean? He's like, I want you, if you could write your own eulogy, I want you to write down what you would hope people would say about you. What would you want Lindsay to say about you? What would you want your boys to say about you? What would you want the church to say about you? What would you want your friends and your family to say about you? What would you want the community to say about you? <clears throat> and so I, I, I sat down and spent some time and just started writing out things that I would hope people you know, would say about me. Things that I hope would be true. And, and so we met back again and I was like, okay, what was all this about? He said, because here's the deal. This is now what we're gonna do. We're gonna take all of this that you would wish and hope that people say about you and we're gonna make sure that you live this out now. Because if not, you're gonna wish for them to say this but they can't say this because you ain't living it. So like one of the things was I want like my boys to say that their dad was always there for them. He's like, okay, well then guess what? That means you're gonna have to say no to some people in order to say yes to them. Yeah, okay. I want people to say that he's incredibly generous. Okay. Well, how are you doing in your generosity? Well, I probably could get a little better. Okay, what are areas that we could get more generous in? It's amazing when you start thinking about like your own eulogy, what that would be said. Now I want my wife to say like, that's the only man I'll ever love and, and I, he can never be replaced. That's what I want. It's, it's just, just. I was enough for her. That was it. That was, I'm joking. I, <clears throat> but I, I want to I issue that out to you guys. This week, maybe in your time with the Lord. Sit down for a little bit. 
and write out, like, what would you want people to say about you? He loved LSU. Okay. What else? He was a Saints fan. Okay. So he was disappointed a lot. All right, what else? <laughs> I just had to. I'm sorry. Like, like, what are they going to say about you? And by the way, they're not going to talk about your money. And they're not going to talk about your possessions. And they're not going to talk about your work. And if they do talk about your work, they will either say you're a hard worker or they'll say all he did was work. Because at our funerals, the thing that we realize is that when you're at a funeral, the only thing that matters is God and people. It's the only thing that matters. So how are your relationships? Got to think through that. Uh, For those that don't know, my grandfather um, died um, at 56 in a bank bathroom. Uh, he was he was getting ready for my him and my grandmother's I, I believe it was her 35th anniversary, and he was going to get some money because he had bought a brand new ring for her. And he went to the bathroom, and while he was there in the bathroom, suffered a massive heart attack right there in the bathroom. Security guard noticed that he had went in and never came out and went in and saw my grandfather lying on the floor. <clears throat> I remember I was 12. 12, I think, 12 or 13, we were living in in Arlington, and my grandfather and grandmother lived in Houston, and I remember the phone call, because I picked up the phone, and um, it was my uncle, he had called, and he said, Josh, where's your your mom and dad? I said, well, my mom's gone, my mom was somewhere else, so my dad's here, Let let me talk to your dad, and I remember my dad picking up the phone and just going, What? And then I remember him jetting off into him and my mom's master bedroom. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And I remember my mom coming home and my dad sitting down and telling my mom and then them telling us. And uh, my, my grandfather was my hero. I mean, literally my hero. Um, and I remember how, how just absolutely devastating that was, how much... Like, we had, we had plans. Like, when I was going to be 13, he was going to take me deer hunting. My first time ever. Just all these plans that we had made of things. And um, we drove down to Houston and did the whole funeral and the celebration. And it was amazing and all that. And what some people didn't know about my grandfather was he was a very successful businessman. Um, he was a very, very hard worker and, and one of the most generous men you've ever met. Like, would just meet people and just give them things, give them money, give them like literally his jacket. I mean, he was just incredibly generous. And, um, and he loved Jesus super passionately. A lot of, I think, of my legacy is my grandparents who love God. And then, of course, my parents who love God. And a lot of that has been rubbed off on me. But my grandfather was one of the most generous, God-loving people that he had. He, he led a, uh, a Sunday school class. My mom was actually telling me this week. He led a Sunday school class because uh, he was a leader in the church. He was always just as actively involved in the church as he was in his own business. And, um, and after he had passed, my grandfather had an office in the house. And they had gone up to the office to start kind of going through his things. And when they get to his desk, my grandfather had been preparing the message for his Sunday school class. 
You want to know what the title of it was? How to Prepare to Meet Your Maker. <laughs> the last thing he studied before he died was how to prepare your heart and your life to meet Jesus. Little did he know that he was going to go live that one out. If we want to live as if the end is near, then we've, we've, we've got to live with eternity in mind. This life is so short. At times it's shorter than others. But I want us to pray what David prayed in Psalms 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to number our days. Here's number four. To live to love others. Peter is going to go on in verse 8, and look at this. He's going to say this, most important of all. You got eight verses sharing all of these deep things about God's will and God's heart and your mind and all this stuff. And he says, hey, listen, if we can, if we can just pause for a moment and say, hey, this here's the most important. How I many know when you're talking to your kids, you can say a bunch of stuff, but when you go, hey, listen to me, what I'm about to say is the most important. How I many know whatever you're about to say is the most important? And so Jesus says, through Peter, hey, here's the most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And hey, above all, hey, here's, here's the greatest thing, the most important thing that you need to make sure that you're doing, have some deep love for each other, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we yet again, can misinterpret this. We, I think many of us know this. We've probably heard this. Love covers the multitude of sins. Love covers the multitude of sins. And what we, what we hear in our society, here's how this is, our society works right now, is that the moment that we speak against something that is wrong, that's not loving. Let me do what I wanna do because that's love. You should just love me. Love me for who I am. Well, that's not what this scripture actually means. This scripture means that, that love should be the motivation in, when, in which we share with people. Mo love should be the motivation. We should cover a multitude of sins. We should have loving forgiveness. We should have loving pursuit of reconciliation. We should have love to endure wrong. All the things that we read in 1 Corinthians about love. But what this actually means is that we engage. When someone is living in sin, that we make them feel so loved by God that it creates the platform to have the truthful conversation. Amen. That we should be able to love them in such a way that no matter if they are living in a thing, in a way that is sinful, harmful, destructive, that we're loving them so much that we're at least able to have the conversation and to bring truth across the bridge because love has built the bridge. The problem is there are way too many people who take love out and they just wanna be truthful. You know what they're called? Jerks. Because they say this, well, I'm just being honest. Yeah, and you're a jerk at the same time. Well, I'm just being truthful and a jerk. And then the opposite side of it is there's people like, let's just love, let's just love one another, let's just love, let people do whatever they want, love, let's just love, 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 love. Hey, here's the problem with that. Is it loving when you find out that you have cancer and your doctor says, let me just give you Tylenol? No, your doctor's gonna look at you and go, 
hey, listen, the next year of your life is probably going to be hell. We're going to bring you into the surgery room, and I'm going to cut on you. And I'm going to cut right here, and I'm going to try to go after that cancer, and I'm going to cut all that out. And when we sew you up, it's probably going to hurt a lot. Oh, then after that, we're probably going to have to do some radiation and some chemo, and it's going to be, it's going to be incredibly painful. Do you look at your doctor and go, do you don't love me? No, you know what you do? You look at your doctor and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why? Because actually the most loving thing you can do is to help me get rid of the thing that's killing me. And we, we live in a society where everybody wants to be loved but never told truth. Or everybody just wants to be truthful and not be loving. To love without truth is meaningless. Truth without love is mean. Love and truth is meaningful. And it's medicine to people's bones. It's medicine to people's souls. God has called us to show love to one another because it's only truth that breaks people out of the bondage that they're so in. Romans 2, 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Come on, do I got any people in here where God has been kind, tolerant, and patient with you? Come on, anybody? God's been putting on some extra patience for you? Me too, I got double hands right here. Watch this. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness that is intended to turn you and me from sin? It is his love it is his grace, it is forgiveness that should capture our hearts and turn us back to Jesus. So we're called to love, called to love. Last one, number five, we're called to live to serve others. Look at, look at the rest and we're done here. Verses nine through 11. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Hey, I can't say that. We do this really well right here. We do this really well. Share meals, share places to stay, help people. Watch, but verse 10 says this, because God has given each of you. Come on, look at somebody next to you, say, that means you. Come on, look, look at the person you didn't want to say that to, say, that means you. Okay, that means you. God has given each of you a gift. Anybody here like gifts? Let me try this again. Anybody here like gifts? Okay, all right, just want to make sure. God has given each of you a gift from his incredible great variety of spiritual gifts. And here's why he's given you a gift. To use them to serve others well. Serve one another. Verse 11, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it all with the strength and the energy that God supplies you. God's given you a gift. But here's the truth, you don't own this gift, you're called to steward this gift. There's a difference between an owner and a steward. Everybody listen to me, we're closing right here. There's a difference between an owner and a steward. An owner legally possesses something, it's their own. A steward is given something and then entrusted to manage it, take care of it, based off of whatever the owner is that said to them. This verse says, Peter says, God in his incredible grace has given you a gift. This is actually called a charisma, a grace gift. 
He's given you one of his spiritual gifts, a grace gift. You can go look at all about the spiritual gifts in another book in the Bible. There's all about this. But God's given all of us in here unique gifts, spiritual gifts. But he expects something of it. It's like, it's like you, when you've got money and you put it in a bank, you don't expect the bank to spend all your money. You expect them to protect your money. If anything, to increase your money. You bring your truck or your car to a mechanic that's broken. You expect them to fix it, not to break it more. If you go back and the bank has stolen your money, or used your money, you go to a mechanic and they have broken your vehicle more, you know what that's called? A crime. True? That's a crime. And you actually have legal action to press charges against those people for misusing what you entrusted to them. God the Father, in his great love for you, when you gave your life to Jesus, gave you a grace gift. And then he says, now I need you to use that gift, not to make yourself wealthy, not to make yourself happy, but I need you to use that gift to be a blessing to others. And if you don't, that's a crime. That's a crime. So in order to make sure that we're not doing a crime, we need to know what our gifts are. So this is why we do Discover OSC, by the way. This is why we want you to get plugged into the church and start learning your gifts. This is why we have a Discover Your Design thing on our website. If you go to oscconnect.com backslash next steps, oscconnect.com backslash next steps, there's a button on there called Discover Your Design. If you click that button, there's an assessment that you can take and it goes through your whole shape, your spiritual gifts, your personalities, your abilities, your heart passions, your experiences, it takes all of these things and it begins to show you what are these gifts that God's giving you. I encourage you to take it. We encourage every person in our church to take this. It's free. Just probably be 10, 15 minutes for you to take it because we want you to go all in. We want you to find the gifts that God's given you. We want you to put it in into play. We want you to steward these gifts so that you can, you can be wise with what God has entrusted in you. And when we do this, watch this, when we live with the right mindset, when we live for God's will, when we, when we love people, when we live for eternity, when we love to serve people, when we do all these things, look at the end of this verse says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever, amen. How many know at the end of the day, our greatest desire is to give glory to God in all that we do? and all that we do. Would you bow your heads in this place? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for a reminder today of how you've called us to live, how you've called us to live. God, I just pray right now, Lord, help us to live with the end in mind. Help us to live with the end in mind. Now listen, I can't have a message like this without having an opportunity for those in this room to hear the good news of the gospel. You heard it earlier. But the incredible news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you. Jesus has a plan for you, but you, you and I are sinners. We, we have sinned. We have broken the heart of God. We have done our disobedience. We are dead because of our sin. But the good news is that God is so good. He came, bore our, bore, bore our sins and our shame and our guilt on the cross. And he died for it. And he rose again to give us a place in heaven and a purpose on earth and a relationship yet again with the Father. 
If you're here in this place and right now, man, your heart is beating out of your chest. The Spirit of God is drawing you in this place. You say, Pastor Josh, that's me. I know, man, I, I, need, to, I need to say yes to Jesus. All of us are destined to die once and then judgment. I don't know if I died today, if I know exactly where I'd go. I want today to know for sure that I would be in heaven. I wanna give my heart fully and committed to him. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hands up all across this room. One, two, three. If that's you going up all across this room, come on, thank you. Come on, just hold them up right there, right there where you are. There's no shame in this. No shame in this. This is the greatest moment of your life right here. Come on, hands going up all over the place. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And with your hands, I want you just to raise that other hand right there, both hands right now. The Bible says that salvation is a gift. It is a gift. You don't earn it, you receive it. So right now, I just want you to receive this gift of salvation in this place. Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you for every hand that's raised in this house. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are drawing them to yourself. God, I thank you, Lord, that we come and we repent of our sins. God, we turn from our sin and our selfishness. God, and we thank you for Jesus, that you lived the life we couldn't live. You are the Son of God, and you died on a cross for our shame. So today, right now, in this place, we receive the gift of salvation. We receive your grace. God, we receive your forgiveness. God, change us from the inside out. God, we acknowledge you as the Lord and Savior of our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, OSC.